Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Why would anyone want to be a police officer these days? Hamilton wants your feedback on the farmer's market. Canada's legal cannabis law is four years old. Find out why Bill C-11 could hurt Canadian content creators. Are you willing to watch ads on Netflix to save a bit of coin? And the spooky season has arrived. The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. It is with profound sadness that I announce the death of Constable Devin Northrup and Constable Morgan Russell. Words cannot describe our grief. Welcome back to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Four police officers, as you know, have been killed in the line of duty in Ontario in the last month. South Simcoe Police Constables Devin Northrup and Morgan Russell. They were shot at a home in Innisfil last week. York Region Constable Travis Gillespie was killed while driving to work on September 14th. Toronto Police Constable Andrew Hong fatally shot by a gunman on September 12th. That compares to six officers who died in the line of duty in 2019, 2020, and 2021 combined. It has certainly been a difficult month. And With that in mind, the danger that officers face on the job, the almost constant calls to defund or detask police, it begs the question, why would anyone want to be a cop these days? Frank Bergen is the chief of police with Hamilton Police Service and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Chief Bergen, how are you today? I'm well, thank you very much, Rick, for this opportunity, and I, I, can't, I can't let that last uh, statement go without an answer, is uh, why does a person want to be a police officer? Rick, it's a front row um, seat to the theater of life, and the reality is uh, there's amazing uh, careers available in policing, but uh, notwithstanding some of the challenges and certainly the grief that is being felt in the last month here in the province of Ontario, losing officers that are just responding to the call of duty. It is. Uh, it, it must feel like a thankless job at times. Obviously, yes, policing can be a rewarding career, but can it also feel somewhat empty at times because you know your 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 comrades are being killed, or you know people are trying to evade you all the time? W- what does it feel like? Yeah, Rick. The reality is, though. Um we, we do get actually immediate response from people and, and uh, the reality is the overwhelming um, sense of security that is provided by people working together, police and the community, uh, in partnership as we do in the city of Hamilton. Uh, what, what keeps officers going is also the acknowledgement that there's a handful of people that aren't going to like police regardless and they're going to they're gonna have a problem with everything we do. But the reality is the majority of our community, certainly in Hamilton, um, understand that we have a role to do and we have to do it. The, the reality of what we've seen, though, in the, in the death of, of Morgan and Devin and Andrew um, is, again, just senseless. And, and it's, it's the part of, of um, sort of reconciling that to what, it, what is happening in, in the States, in, in, in the United States. And, Last week alone, in 72 hours in, in, in the United States, uh, in 72 hours, 14 officers were shot, seven were killed. And uh, in our case like that, this is just not a common thing when we're answering uh, a regular call uh, call for service. This has certainly been a very difficult month for police uh, in this province. How have you processed what has happened? 
I think the, the, the way we do it is we, we keep coming to work, but we also have an opportunity to have conversations. And, and, and let's not forget some of the tragedies we have here in our own community, um, the loss of Amelia and Noah, and, and the reality of what is required at that and that Saturday is just a senseless loss of two young kids. And the reality is we have our members talk to each other. We, we do crisis responses and, and we have support teams and we have those conversations. Andrew Hong's situation is what we'll see on Thursday as well. Police officers uh, throughout the province and all of North America will stand shoulder to shoulder, shoulder flash to shoulder flash, uh, just to acknowledge that we've lost one of our own. So there is a, a lot of conversation, a lot of support. We look at member wellness. We look at what we can do. Um, but we still um, put on the radio, uh, put on the, our uniform, and, and respond to the calls for service that are growing every day. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Frank Bergen. He's the Chief of Police here in Hamilton. We're talking about the uh, month that was in this province's four officers were killed in the line of duty. All the while, you know, there's that constant conversation about defunding or detasking the police. How do you absorb all that and continue to go to work? We, again, that's my role, and the role of command is, is to work with our city partners, to work with our social services, um, homelessness, harm reduction, poverty, mental illness, uh, the tenants of the Community Safety and Wellbeing Plan. Um, we, we are integral to that, and the reality is we have to shift the model from us being incident response. We, we are the, the you know, 24-7, you know, 365 days a year relied upon to manage these things. We have to look at those shifts. In my budget preparations, I, I look at those opportunities to support uh, in just $8.6 million envelope alone from Community Safety Grant, I was able to divert $1.6 million to our social service partners who have that opportunity then to bring staff in order to meet those challenges on the street. Our calls for service, uh, as they say, Rick, are growing, but they're growing in, in partner and family violence, person in crisis, assisting ambulances, trespassing, suspicious activities. Core function policing some quite often is, is what is the casualty, not having the opportunity really to look at proactive policing, crime prevention, properly assisting victims of crime, because, again, um, that conversation about who's responsible. Uh, we need more people at the table. When it comes to community policing initiatives, uh, let's talk about the positive things that Hamilton police officers do, whether it's, you know, visiting with kids, it's, uh, you know, uh, um, sharing information with community partners. Talk about the community policing side of things. There is such opportunity, and I can tell you that, that what we see in those interactions, um, that what isn't seen on the front of the paper is, is the amount of sports we do with our community, is the volunteerism that we see throughout this community. Um, the police officers in Hamilton live in Hamilton, and, and therefore they are coaches, and they are there to assist that community. The community policing um, area, though, is important when we are dealing with the pressures of homelessness and harm reduction. As you know, month-to-month -month stats to talk about opioid overdoses, what goes on behind the scenes and those relationships and those supports that might be in an emergency room or might be in the back alley of a, of a, of a parking lot are really important because those opportunities are giving people an opportunity for a better life and, and not just keeping them down. Well, from all of us here, I think in the city of Hamilton, I can speak with, uh, for most people, I would assume, that uh, you guys do a phenomenal job day in and day out, and all the individuals in uniform, we greatly appreciate the work that you do in this community. Chief Bergen, thank you for the time today, and uh, we'll talk to you down the road. 
Thank you very much. And any opportunity we can partner with anybody in this community to make it a safer community is the time to do it. Rick, have a great day. Thank you. You too. That is Hamilton Police Chief Frank Bergen talking to us here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. City of Hamilton launching an online engagement portal to receive feedback on the future of the Hamilton farmers market. Tyson McMahon is our guest. He's the business development consultant with the City of Hamilton and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Tyson, good morning. How are you? I'm doing well. Yourself, Rick? I'm good. Tell us about the Hamilton farmers market visioning exercise. What's it all about? Sure. No, thank you for having me and the opportunity to speak about it. So earlier this year, uh, council directed staff to take a a bit of a review of the the vision and the role of the Hamilton's farmer's market. So really, council wanted staff to go out and talk to the community and see what they want the market to be. It's been around for about 185 years. And really, what what does the community want to see the farmer's market be and become for the next 185 years? So we've gone out We've had an open house. We have an online portal, as you mentioned, that has a public survey that's live now until November 4th. And sometime in November, uh, hopefully this week, we'll be able to announce it, but we'll be having a uh, a public charrette or a public workshop, if you will, uh, to really get ideas as to what programming and kind of design ideas the community wants for the market. Is this review happening because the, the farmer's market is underperforming or... Uh, it needs a refresh or a rebrand. What's what's the genesis behind this review? Sure. So really, uh, council uh, was undergoing a governance and an operating review for the market. So really to understand what's the best governance model to ensure the successful operation of the market. So staff had brought back in a, in a bit of an interim report to council uh, in February, and that is where they said, okay, well, you know what, before we make any final governance and operating decisions, why not? Why don't we go to the community and make sure that we understand their vision for the market in order to essentially establish a governance and operating model uh, that ensures the vision for the community. So really it's to make sure that we're doing this right. Uh, we know that there has been some changes over the last couple of years, if not decades, of the market. Uh, so really this is to ensure that staff and council move forward uh, with, with really the, with the will of the community behind it. Is one of the goals as well to create a vibrant and maybe most importantly a self-sustaining operation? I think that's one of the goals, right? And and I think we're already hearing that from the community is they want to see a market that's here again for the next 185 years. I think it's been an integral part of the down. We may have lost Tyson McMahon. Maybe we'll give him a call back. <laughs> Tyson McMahon is the business development consultant with the city of Hamilton. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll reconnect with uh, Mr. McMahon and get to more details of the City of Hamilton's online engagement portal. They're trying to get feedback on the future of the Hamilton Farmers Market. And you can offer your feedback online at engage.hamilton.ca, and you can do so until November the 4th. We have Tyson McMahon back on with us. Tyson, um, I, I was just refreshing our uh, listeners' memory on how they can engage with this process. Engage.hamilton.ca is the website until November 4th. You also want to hear from vendors as well. Exactly. So as part of this, we understand that really a crucial nature is to understand the market is is to ensure the the performance of vendors, right? Our market is only successful as our vendors are. So part of it, we have a, a survey that is for the vendors only. We've already done some reach out with them to have them complete that as well. Same as we're having a workshop in November for the public. 
we'll be having one for the vendors only as well in November. Is is there any thoughts on moving the market from where it currently is? Uh, from our initial assessment, no. There is no at least initial desire on behalf of staff to, or, or at least from our understanding from um, our from how we're approaching the work to move it. However, if we hear from the community that there's that there are better locations, then that's something we would take a look at. But at this time, um, the location of the market is not in question in, in terms of this work. So we know that November 4th is a big deadline for the public to provide their input, again, online at engage.hamilton.ca to fill out this uh, survey to uh, express your thoughts on the Hamilton farmer's market. What's the timeline after that? So what we're looking what we're looking to do is following the survey at November fourth workshop in November. Uh, we're looking to br- come back to council. I want to say in Q one of next year. Um, that's where we'll be presenting the vision that we hear back from the community, looking to get council approval, and then following that, ca- uh, staff will continue the governance and operating work. So the visioning exercise we're looking to bring back to council in Q one of next year of twenty twenty three. Is your team also looking at farmers markets in other communities to see what they're doing and how they're doing it? Yeah, so that's part of the work as well, whether that's looking at other markets in other regions, looking at even local markets here uh, in Hamilton. As you know, there's, there's listeners probably know there's a number of um, farmers market throughout the, the city, throughout the mountain, and throughout the other areas of Hamilton as well. And we've also done some initial outreach with the farmers market of Ontario. So we're really trying to understand what is the best way forward for our farmers market here in Hamilton. And that's also why we've hired uh, Project for Public Spaces, which really are the international experts in public markets. How important is it to create a diverse market? We know Hamilton is a very diverse community. What's the importance or the thrust behind that? I think it's crucial, right? I think, as you mentioned, as Hamilton as is a diverse city, as it will continue to grow as a diverse city, uh, I think that's only expected when it comes to any community or public market is that um, the vendors, the offerings of that market reflect really the community it's serving. I agree. Tyson, appreciate your time today. Thanks for joining us, and good luck with this uh, survey and the whole project. Thank you very much, Rick, and it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Tyson McMahon is a a business development consultant with the City of Hamilton. You can make your voice heard on the Hamilton Farmers Market. You can uh, complete the online survey at engage.hamilton.ca, and you have until November 4th to do so. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Four years ago today, boy, does time ever fly, four years ago, Canada became the first G7 nation to legalize recreational cannabis. It it begs the question, what have we learned over the last four years? And more importantly, where are we going with this? Are we seeing minor changes over the next four years? Are we seeing major changes on the horizon? Dr. Michael Armstrong is an associate professor at the Goodman School of Business at Brock University and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton. Dr. Armstrong, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Have the last four years gone as the federal government had originally envisioned? (laughs) I don't think they went as envisioned by almost anyone, but (laughs) uh, in some ways that's a good thing because uh, if you go back four or five years, uh, some people were saying legalization is going to bring this economic gold rush, all kinds of profits for companies, all kinds of tax revenues. And on the other hand, you had the uh, uh, more... Negative people who are saying, oh, it's going to be a so- social disaster. We're going to have impaired drivers all over the streets. 
um, all kinds of other catastrophes. And actually, it's kind of been pretty boring for the most part. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, it's very important if you're a cannabis consumer or seller, but if you're not, you know, life has gone on. So uh, we now have a legal cannabis industry. Uh, there's something like 3,300 stores uh, across the country. There's about 900 sites licensed to produce or process cannabis products. And consequently, we have sales, uh, a little about half the size of Canada's beer sales or about three quarters the size of our wine sales. So it's not a huge industry, but yeah, that's, that's a, a, an addition to our economy. For those pot producers, those companies that are making uh, the edibles and, and whatnot, they did see some original big gains on Bay Street. That has since you know come <laughs> down. W- what's happened to them, and, and will, will they reach those heights ever again? Well, the producers kind of went through a boom and bust uh, cycle. Um, so again, going back four years, just before and just after legalization day, there was a lot of uh, concern, oh, we don't have enough capacity, we're not producing enough cannabis. And in fact, my own research found that uh, we had a shortage of dry cannabis products, the smokable stuff, uh, for about the first six months. So fall, winter, uh, we were short, but that turned around the spring, the producers started getting more out the door. I think basically they're learning how to grow and process cannabis on a large scale. Uh, so by summer 2019, we were into, our, into a surplus. And since then, the producers have been uh, downsizing, rationalizing, whatever you want to call it, uh, to try and get production levels down to the level uh, closer to sales. So uh, I think a lot of producers originally were overly optimistic about how big the cannabis market would be and also how big a a piece of that market each company would get. And of course, you had lots of producers chasing the same market. Uh, They weren't all going to get a big piece. So... Yeah, stock prices for producers. Uh, If you bought about a year before legalization and sold just after, that was probably about best. Um, Things have gone downhill for most big companies. Although a lot of smaller producers, uh, the microprocessors, have gotten in the last year or two, and they seem to be doing pretty well. We're talking about the four-year anniversary of the legalization of recreational cannabis here in Canada on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. And our guest is Dr. Michael Armstrong, Associate Professor at the Goodman School of Business at Brock University. Uh, Originally, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and the federal government were touting that this was going to uh, greatly impact the black market. Are we seeing that? Uh, It certainly has. Uh, It's difficult to quantify that impact because, of course, the black market doesn't fill out government surveys. Um, but uh, we know that legal sales have gone up quite strongly almost, almost every month since legalization. Uh, the surveys that have been done of consumers, whether done by the provincial governments or federal governments or independent researchers, they all say, yes, people are saying I'm buying less often from the illegal market. I'm buying more often from the licensed stores. Um, so... We're pretty sure that uh, legal sales now represent at least half of uh, overall usage, uh, perhaps as much as three quarters. But certainly the, uh, the illicit dealers have not disappeared. The storefronts, the unlicensed storefronts are mostly gone now, but there's a lot of people selling online. Uh, where it's harder for the police to enforce the rules. Got about a couple of minutes to talk about what is next. What is some of the things that we could potentially see down the road when it comes to legalized marijuana in this country? Well, that's a good question. The federal government uh, 
earlier this month announced, or sorry, just late last month in September, announced they were doing a review of their legislation. So uh, they realized that, okay, this the law they passed four years ago was kind of their best guess at what would work. Now they're going back and say, okay, what do we need to fix uh, and improve? So I hope the Ontario government will do something similar. I know the Ontario Cannabis Store recently announced a review of their pricing policies. Uh, do they need to have markups as big as they currently charge? One issue for us in Ontario on the retail side is we still don't have stores in some municipalities. So places like uh, Mississauga, uh, Oakdale uh, opted out of allowing stores. Um, now that might be good politics, uh, but in terms of policy, that means there's no legal source uh, for users, consumers in those cities. And so that's a spot where the black markets are probably thriving. So that policy probably should be reviewed. Probably and potentially, and uh, we know that those individuals can certainly come to Hamilton because we have our fair share of <laughs> cannabis stores, that is for sure. Dr. Armstrong, we'll have to leave it there. Really appreciate your time this morning. Thank you for inviting me. And it's Dr. Michael Armstrong, the Associate Professor at the Goodman School of Business at Brock University. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Bill C-11. You've, I'm sure you've heard about Bill C-11. You're probably thinking, what, what's that one about again? This is all about online user-generated content. And this bill, Bill C-11, uh, introduces some uh, exceptions or some rules for those who live in the online world. Well, the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, not a big fan of this bill. Jay Goldberg is our guest. He's the Ontario and Interim Atlantic Director with the Canadian Taxpayers Federation and joins us on GMH. Jay, good morning. How are you? Doing well. Good morning. You've uh, penned a piece about uh, Bill C-11, and your first sentence, I think, kind of says it all. Quote, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau doesn't care about Canadian content creators. Um, what do you think the impact of Bill C-11 is going to have? Well, the impact of Bill C-11 is going to be the exact opposite of what the government says the bill is intended to do. So previously, we've expressed a lot of concerns about the fact that the bill's going to filter content that we can see online. It's going to be a problem for us to try to hold the government to account. Uh, it'll allow the government to potentially go after its critics. But the very reason for this bill, according to the government, is to really promote the interest of Canadian content creators. But what we've seen with testimony before the Senate uh, committee in the last few weeks is that actually this is going to be detrimental to Canadian content creators, and that's because YouTube says 90% of the audience for creators here in Canada are outside of Canada. And so by forcing Canadian content here in Canada, there could be lower click rates because the government's forcing us to uh, see in our feeds things that we're not interested in. That tells YouTube that this stuff isn't interesting to viewers, and then it's promoted less around the world. So this bill actually threatens the ability of Canadian content creators to succeed in the world, which is the exact thing the government says that it wants to prevent. So the legislation is supposed to make Canadian content more accessible. Every time you go to YouTube, odds are the first thing you see is going to be something from a Canadian creator. Um, that, that's the genesis of the legislation. So if we're not clicking on those things... Um, uh, we're not helping those creators. I guess that's your argument. Well, that's exactly right. So YouTube was testifying before the Senate, and what they said is our algorithms, if people are being pushed Canadian content, but they're not interested in Canada, they're not clicking on it in Canada, 
They're saying that our algorithms will take that as a sign that this content isn't popular, and so outside of Canada's borders, it will be buried. It will be down in the cycle because uh, YouTube's algorithms take it that this content just isn't interesting for people. And so we've had Canadian stars like Kesher, who was discovered uh, on the other side of the world. He's an Indian artist from Regina. Uh, you know, we've had people like Justin Bieber discovered on uh, YouTube. Uh, and and, and these people, uh, the very people that are coming out and saying, my career will, would not have started with if this bill had been in place, because I would, my content wouldn't have gotten out there beyond Canada's borders, and I wouldn't have become a Canadian sensation. Uh, and so Tesha wrote a great piece in the Regina Leader Post saying exactly that. So creators themselves are saying this is a horrible bill for them. And again, you know, we had concerns about accountability before. We had concerns about censorship before. But this is the very reason the government is saying the bill is needed. And actually, it's going to have the opposite effect. And I know we've referenced uh, YouTube a couple of times, but this is this is all online, right? This is website. This is TikTok. This is uh, Facebook. This is YouTube, et cetera, et cetera. Exactly. So YouTube came before the Senate, uh, and they were testifying, but it affects everyone. It affects uh, even TikTok users. Uh, TikTok videos, if Canadians go on TikTok, all of a sudden they're going to be promoted videos they're not interested in just because they happen to be Canadian uh, and then TikTok videos won't succeed beyond Canada's borders. So it's the exact same problem. It's going to happen with TikTok. It's going to happen with YouTube. It's going to happen potentially with Twitter and even Facebook. And, you know, I think Canadians are smart enough to figure out that if there's Canadian content that they want to see, whether it's on YouTube, whether it's on Netflix, uh, you know, you can search for it. You can read up about it. You can search for it. Uh, and people are being discovered all around the world. The beauty of the Internet is that you can be exposed to an unlimited amount of things and so that is exactly why the Internet shouldn't be regulated the same way TV and radio are. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Jay Goldberg, Ontario and Interim Atlantic Director with the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. We're chewing on Bill C-11, which Jay says is going to be a big blow to Canadian content creators. Any, any chance that YouTube has swayed the federal government and others have swayed the government to tweak Bill C-11? What are the odds? Well, the, the bill is currently in the Senate. It's before the Transfer and Communications Committee. And look, there's a lot of senators on the committee who are independents who have very big concerns with this bill. They've raised the same concerns that YouTube has. They've raised other concerns with respect to the threat this is going to have for privacy, because if the government's able to track exactly what we're watching online in order to push Canadian content, they're going to be able to see everything we're looking for, everything we're watching online. That's a huge concern. And so, yes, yeah, senators are concerned about privacy. They're concerned about Canadian content succeeding beyond our borders. Uh, and there's a lot of independent senators who want to take a very close look at this, potentially uh, major amendments to exclude user-generated content to try to, uh, you know, enhance privacy. But ultimately, I think the bill is just, uh, it, should be, it should be ripped up. Because, frankly, if the government's reason for creating Bill C-11 is to help Canadian content creators, and Canadian content creators say this will actually hurt them, well, then the whole reason for this bill is just a moot point. Jay Goldberg, Ontario and Interim Atlantic Director, Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Appreciate your time today. Have a great one. Thanks, you too. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Netflix Canada out with a, well, a different level of package. You, know, you can do the, the two screen, the four screen uh, there's also a 
$5.99 package, but there's a bit of a catch to this one. Because for the ultra-low price of $5.99, you'll still be able to watch your favorite dramas or comedies, movies, series, documentaries on Netflix. But you're also going to get ads within those programs. So the question is, are you willing to watch commercials for a lower price? Bill Brio is a television critic and author. You can find out more online at brio.tv. Bill, welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm uh, well, Rick. How are you doing? I'm, I'm good. Was this kind of uh, package, ad-based package, a long time coming? Well, it's been coming ever since Netflix hit the wall and their subscribers uh, base started to shrink. You know, I mean, their stock dropped by a third, I think, uh, in one day, you know, six, eight months ago. And uh, ever since that point, yeah, they've been scrambling to try and figure out how to grow their, their business. Do you think this is going to be a popular option? I think, Rick, if people want to watch TV without with commercials, they'll just watch TV. Mm-hmm. You know, like this is what we've all been doing forever and ever. But uh, I know, you know, there's services out there like Tubi um, that uh, some listeners might be familiar with that are like this. They're ad-supported video on demand. And, you know, you get three minutes uh, or four minutes of ads every 30 minutes it's less than you would get with um, conventional television. They're usually shorter ads, 15 minutes. But, you know, uh, it, it all comes down to the shows, right? And if, it, you, you know, what you want to watch is not on Netflix Mini or Netflix Maxi, it doesn't really matter what the price is. The the other thing I thought about, too, is could this backfire on Netflix because there might be, and I'm, I'm assuming there's going to be a certain percentage of current subscribers who are paying, I don't know, 15 or 19.99, whatever it is a month for two or four screens, that they'll say, you know what, I, I won't mind watching the commercials. Let me switch this package to the 5.99, and now we have less revenue coming in for Netflix. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It's a great question. Uh, I guess they've done the run the numbers and figure, well, we're, we're willing to cannibalize our business because we think our our core business um, is going to shrink that much. So if you look at the top 10 shows in Canada that people watch on Netflix just last week, and I run this top 10 list every week at Brio.tv, um, you know, you've got Jeffrey Dahmer. There's a, a mini series about him, number one, for three weeks in a row, which right. is dismaying to me. But anyway, beyond that, you've got three reruns you've got reruns of Grey's Anatomy reruns of the new dynasty on the CW and reruns of the blacklist those are among the top 10 most watched shows on Netflix that's not good if you're a a company that's produced a lot of your own content and people are just sort of coasting along watching reruns and paying for it that's a danger signal I think yeah Grey's Anatomy has been around for what 20 some odd years and people are still watching reruns of that that's that's amazing it is. It's, yeah, 18 seasons, um, you know, and I, so it used to be once, in a, you know, you you tune into Netflix to see the hottest, newest, latest, coolest. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think a lot of subscribers, myself included, you sit down, you turn on Netflix or whatever the streaming service is, and you're flipping around there and you suddenly you've wasted 25 minutes trying to find one you want to watch. <laughs> it's a bit shocking, right, Rick? And uh, that's... In an era when, you know, we're feeling the pinch because when we, every time we put gas in our car or heat in our house or whatever, and if you're looking around to save nickels and dimes, you know, TV does have other choices.
Absolutely. Bill Brio is our guest, television critic and author, Brio.tv. That's B-R-I-O-U-X.tv. Could this potentially lead to an uptick in new subscriptions for Netflix? Those who haven't tried it before and are saying, well, for $5.99, okay, I'll jump in. Yeah, it's possible. And as you mentioned, you know, there are three or four different services. You can subscribe to like uh, Ultra Netflix, where, you know, you can have uh, Netflix in four different TV screens in your house or on your laptop or wherever uh, for, for 20 bucks a month or so. And then, you know, there's a $16 and a $10 one. Um, so I guess if you just want to try it out on your phone or try it out on the one TV uh this is your entry into it yeah maybe you've waited for this moment but i just think you've also maybe looked at disney disney plus or amazon prime video or paramount or crave or on and on and on you know there's a lot of competition now speaking of which we got about 30 seconds do you expect other streaming services to maybe offer a similar package of their own sure they're all looking at this um i think that yeah absolutely Paramount especially has been looking at different offers. Um, it's all changing, Rick. You know, they're starting to show live baseball and football on uh, streaming services in Canada. And how soon will it be for hockey? And, you know, they're, they're, it's all in play. So we'll, we'll just keep an eye on it and hope to figure it out. It's been fun to watch, so to speak, Bill. Really appreciate your time this morning. My pleasure, Rick. Anytime. Bill Briou is a television critic and author. Briou.tv. That's B-R-I-O-U-X dot TV. Some good content on that, so, that website, I'll tell you that. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. We know that October and as Halloween approaches, many people are getting into the spooky spirit. We tend to watch more horror movies this month. Of course, at the end of the month, we get all dressed up and try to scare each other. Just have a little fun on Halloween. So it got me to thinking about, well, paranormal activity, especially in this city, in Niagara, in the GTA. And why not get an expert on this topic? Uh, Ghost Guide Daniel from Ghost Walks joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Daniel, good morning. How are you? Good. How are you doing? Not too bad. Is this uh, the most active time of the year for people who want to partake in ghost walks? Oh, definitely. It's it's uh, coming up to Halloween. It gets very, very busy. And uh, one of the, uh, the, the definite bright sides of that is um, there's much more ghostly activity as well. Really? Oh, for sure. Why is that? Well, it, it depends what you believe. I mean, Halloween has roots in uh, rituals going back a couple thousand years. Uh, but they, they say that the veil between the two worlds is much thinner. And for that reason, the energy is raised and more things happen. Wow, interesting. What are the most haunted places in Hamilton, Niagara, and out in the Toronto area? Oh, <laughs> we need a much longer segment for that one. But, <laughs> well, let's uh, focus on Hamilton to start. I, there's so many places, but for Hamilton, it, definitely the top two in, in my books, uh, places we've done tours at are the uh, Hermitage Ruins out in Ancaster and the Custom House uh, down in the North End. Okay, so why are they the most haunted places? What happened at those two areas? Uh, just very, very energetic spots. So for the Hermitage Ruins, one of the most famous legends in all of Canada takes place out there of the, the coachman William Black. So because of that, it's drawn out people over generations, like going back to the early 1900s. People would come out there to try and stir stuff up, do seances, do rituals. 
and it just adds to that energy uh not to mention i mean the 1850s house that used to be there that's now the ruins but for the custom house it just has a unique history the you know million people who have come through there over the years and uh, much violence occurred in the building and you know then it has also the oldest known ghost in the city uh the dark lady who was mentioned in a poem back in the 1800s uh, so she haunts there, but as well, there's there's much more energy on top of that. Have you ever seen the dark lady? I I've definitely experienced her. Um, I've never seen her outright, but we were doing a seance during one of our investigation nights. This is going back a few years, and during the seance, um, we we were using as our communication tool. And please don't judge me. <laughs> it was a Ouija board. <laughs> and, and so it's it's and so she made the connection. She made the connection, yeah, and during the seance, um, she was doing something that, uh, I'm going to refer to it by the word from the horror movies, uh, possession, but it's not like your regular type of, like not like horror movie possession. In real life, it's not as bad as you think. Basically, you just got to stay calm, and then you'll naturally fight it off. So she tried to possess two young girls in the group that night. And our psychics were able to jump in and, and figure it out. So I go in and I, I talk to her personally through the board. And I asked her why she was angry. And she said, poem. So that poem I mentioned from the 1800s describes her as the devil himself. So I promised her from that point forward, we would never read the poem. And after that, things calmed down a bit. Wow. Ghost uh, Guide Daniel from Ghostwalks is joining us here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. You can get more information and uh, book a tour at ghostwalks.com. Uh, have you ever seen a ghost uh, apart from, you know, the, the, the this lady that you refer to? Anywhere else? Have you seen something? I have. It was actually at the uh, the Hermitage Ruins. The other one I mentioned uh, was the end of a tour back in uh, uh, 2008, I believe. And last tour of the night, so it's like nobody else is coming. It's just us out in the woods by ourselves. And I let everybody mingle around for a bit. And when I came around to tell everybody it's time to go, I saw two people walking towards me. Now, I, I just assumed they were part of the group. But when I called out to them a second time, they walked into the woods and disappeared. So after this, I'm a little freaked out. <laughs> but I was more freaked out when I found out that my coordinator came around the corner when she heard me call out the first time. She watched me call out the second time, and I and even though I said I could see them in front of me, she said I was calling out to an empty field. Wow. How did you get into ghost walking? Oh, yeah, that goes uh, back to about 1999. Uh, there used to be a, a house here in Hamilton called the Bellevue Mansion, and I, um, I, we, I had some pictures of the place before they tore it down. And the very first article I ever wrote was the history and the ghost stories around that house. And it kind of took off. So from that day forth, I, I realized I really enjoyed, you know, history and, and ghost stories. Ghost Guy Daniel is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Daniel is from Ghost Walks. You can figure out uh, uh, where you want to visit in and around town at ghostwalks.com. When people do book uh, a tour and, and come to visit, whether it's the Hermitage or the Custom House or whatever the case is, do they want to see and feel and experience something? And when they do, what what is the usual reaction? Yeah, I you know it's funny. I'll have people come out. It's like, can you guarantee we're going to see a ghost? <laughs> and I'm like, no, <laughs> if I could do that, I'd be a millionaire. But uh, 
uh no it, you know if uh, hermitage ruins definitely because it's secluded it's it's more chance that you might experience something you come into downtown hamilton or niagara on the lake being that it's uh, active downtown cores is not as much chance so the more secluded the more quiet uh, that's more chance that something's going to happen great stuff ghost guy daniel thanks for the time today and good luck on your next ghost walk uh, thank you very much. Uh, thank you for having me. You can check out more information online, ghostwalks.com. I remember my wife doing a couple of these years ago, and while she didn't see anything, um, she certainly experienced, you know, that feeling that, you get, you know, the goosebumps, the hair standing on the back of your neck, something is happening. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.